Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley... Code red, that's the alarming state of our planet's health, according to a United Nations climate change report published this month. Our catchy slogan, reduce, reuse, recycle, doesn't hold up to such dire news. And it's recently become clear that recycling is a glaringly broken system in our country. Only 8% of plastic waste gets recycled in the United States, according to the 2017 EPA report. So what are we to do? Maybe it's time to start practicing reducing and reusing instead of recycling. If anyone's going to, it'll be Gen Zers, whose generation could become known as Gen Zero Waste, since so many are adopting zero waste practices. From viral zero waste themed TikToks to internet famous zero waste bloggers, millennials and Gen Zers are popularizing the waste-free lifestyle movement and local efforts here in Massachusetts are leading the way. Later in the show, when the pandemic struck, most of us were forced to retreat to our own individual bubbles, unsure of how to live in semi-isolation. But author David Gessner found inspiration from 19th century philosopher Henry David Thoreau, the original social distancer. Gessner says that Thoreau's ideas about self-reliance offer lessons for those of us continuing to navigate the pandemic. But first, joining me remotely, Maria Vasco, founder and CEO of Uvita, Boston's first zero-waste store. Hi, Maria. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on here with you all. Also with me, Simon Metcalf, a member of the Sunrise Boston Hub and a high school teacher. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Hi, Kelly. It's great to be here. And also with me, Haley Gamboni, account manager at Divert, a Boston-based company working to eliminate waste from the retail industry. Haley is also a former Boston University Zero Waste intern who was part of the university's Zero Waste Task Force. Welcome, Haley. Thanks. It's great to be here. Well, I'm glad to have all of you. I'm going to start with this obvious question, but it needs to be defined. Maria, what is Zero Waste? So zero waste to me means trying to reduce the amount of waste that we produce and also making sure that the waste that we produce has a second hand at life and actually should be used infinitely. All waste should be used in a circular economy, which is what we're aiming for. And so that way, everything that is produced will be remade into another item and then the cycle will continue. So there is no waste at the end of the day. Hmm. Haley, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I love how Maria pointed out that's sort of her perspective because something that's unique about zero waste is that it's it can be an individual progression over time. And so for me, it's definitely focusing on redesign and reduction before we go into that reduce, reuse, recycle mantra that that we know about. And so just 
figuring out how to prioritize strategies to reduce waste from the moment that you have a material in your life. And Simon. I would really echo what folks already said, which is it's about minimizing waste and really, really looking at it from a systems perspective. How can we prevent this waste from being generated in the first place? Okay. So Maria, let's start with you in terms of your own personal epiphany about zero waste. It happened in college. Was there something that struck you all of a sudden that made you think about this in a different way? Yeah, so I had my epiphany at a young age. It was in my freshman year of college while I was attending UMass Boston in 2016. And I was taking an environmental science course and I was learning all about plastic pollution. And I just could not bear to see these animals dying because of the fact that there is so much plastic waste. So I just found the system to be very unsustainable. Like there's just so much plastic that we touch and we don't even use it for like longer than 10 minutes. And plastic lasts for so many years. So, you know, there are a number of people who might be as passionate as you are about zero waste, but not a lot of them decided I'm going to make a store to sell zero waste products. That's how you decided to make part of your impact in this a whole movement. So what uh, drove you to do that? And how's it going? Yeah, so I went a little more extreme than the average person because I just could not get over the fact that I had to buy everything in plastic. So I started like daydreaming of this beautiful store that was just everything plastic free and natural and safe for people and accessible. And it all started with UMass Boston. They were offering a scholarship called the Entrepreneurial Scholarship. And I proposed the idea of Boston having a zero waste store in the city. Um, And I was awarded the award. So I became the recipient. And once they gave me the scholarship funding is when I decided like, I'm actually going to do this. And it was actually the, the positive feedback from the judges and anyone who read my essay that was like, please make this store happen. So once I saw that other people thought it was a good idea, just like I did, is when I was like, okay, I think people want this just as much as I do. You know, I dedicated myself to it and I got to opening the store this past December in 2020. Give me a couple of examples of zero waste products that you sell in your store. So we have different categories and different sections in our store, which is my favorite aspect of it. So we have a kitchen section, bathroom, self-care, pet care, makeup section, and kids care. So we're trying to, you know, hit all the points of products that people will have in their house. And our kitchen section is very popular because there's a lot of plastic that goes in the kitchen. And some of them are like silicone bowl covers. The dish soap is my favorite, one of my favorite products because it just lasts so long. It's so concentrated. It works just as good as regular dish soap, but it doesn't come in a plastic bottle. Mm, Okay. All right, moving over to you, Haley. Again, you're a person who was inspired by this movement early on when you were at Boston University, part of BU Zero Waste Task Force. Tell me about what struck you as you were part of that task force and why you think this is taking off. Yeah, so I discovered Zero Waste, like you said, when I was interning at BU in 2019 as an undergraduate. And I was part of the zero waste implementation task force as a zero waste intern. So I provided that student perspective on what zero waste planning would look like on campus for new and existing students and then how zero waste will look in the years going forward. And what struck me was how on board all 54 members of the task force were with 
BU's initiative to go zero waste. It's a huge initiative to take. BU is a very big university with a lot of different people, a lot of different disciplines. And so zero waste looks different for faculty, students, staff, different departments. But the task force was very on board with planning, creating recommendations that were accessible to everybody on campus, and then also incorporating that student voice and really caring about how this is going to look for students, because ultimately the university does focus on its students at the end of the day. And are you seeing in your cohort, you are now graduated and working, your work is a part of this as well, but are you seeing in your age cohort, because everything I'm reading about says your generation and and younger ones are really leading the focus on zero waste, that there is more and more interest in getting to this point, in getting to zero waste. I am seeing that, yeah. And that sort of goes back to Maria's comment about how the the judges for her application were so on board with bringing that store to Boston. I mean, like Maria, you inspired those judges to see the value in zero waste. And so it's kind of like a domino effect when you have young people pushing for this in social media or in their studies or in their work their internships, it's going to create an effect in terms of what Boston's businesses provide to people or what kinds of majors start getting offered at school. And so in my position now, we have, I work at Divert Inc., which is a a tech company based in Concord, Mass. And we use data reporting and tracking to help retailers and grocery chains with their organics recycling. And so I've spoken to a few coworkers who's backgrounds are in engineering. They came onto the company because they had that engineering value. And now they're very passionate about waste reduction and they're passionate about organics recycling. And it's sort of just the trend. People are just, they're inspiring each other. Well, we heard Maria talk about how the plastic overuse really got to her and led her there. Uh, Let's listen to Lauren Singer. She's the author of the Zero Waste blog, Trash is for Tossers, speaking at a TEDx teen event in 2015 about how much plastic we use in our daily lives. When you think about your everyday life, you wake up in the morning, you go into the bathroom, and you brush your teeth. What is your toothbrush made out of? Plastic. Plastic. What is your toothpaste probably packaged in? Plastic. <laughs> your face wash, your moisturizer, your contact solution. So many things that are in our everyday lives come packaged in plastic. And so I realized that if I was going to move away from plastic, the only way that I was going to be able to do that was to learn how to make my products myself. Again, that's Lauren Singer. I played that Simon Metcalf of Sunrise to Boston because this was a TEDx teen event in 20. 20- 15, and we're talking about these younger generations really making zero waste, putting zero waste rather up front and making the rest of us pay attention to what it means and, and how it should play out in our lives. So for you, you've defined what zero waste is. What was your entree into being a part of this movement? What's the motivation for you? You know, I think I've always kind of felt uncomfortable with the amount of waste that, you know, we put out on the curb every week. I Grew up on PBS, like a lot of other kids, kind of getting this message of reducing and reusing and recycling. But I think the the thing that really drove it home to me was, you know, it's funny, Haley mentioned working with people with engineering backgrounds. I have an engineering background. And as I started to gain more experience with, you know, learning more about how manufacturing operations run, I really realized that there is so much waste 
baked in kind of out of sight on the back end to all the products around us that it really got me thinking about, wow, you know, if we want to, if we want to reduce waste, we've really got to sort of go deep and, and re-examine the way we do all sorts of things in society. I am fascinated about how the enthusiasm for this is growing. And I think what most people would, would think if they're just now hearing about it is, okay, I'd like to get to zero waste or close to it, but I know how much I individually you know, create in trash every day. And as, as a matter of fact, Maria, I would say, but you tell me, that people being in isolation in COVID probably made them more aware of how much trash output or waste output they were uh, creating on any given day or week. So you now have people who are a little bit more open to thinking about just how much we're dumping out in the universe. What do you say? Yeah, I totally agree. I know that during like quarantine, everyone is home, but then there's always like those piles of trash that you're taking out every day or every two days. And you're just wondering like, how did this trash get filled up so quickly? You know, like from all this, all these things that I accumulate. So definitely when customers come into the store, I talk to them and they are telling me like, oh, I've just noticed how much trash I have. And like this one product will help me like, you know, get rid of plastic cling wrap. This one product will help me get rid of this plastic tube that I don't need all the time. And so definitely people have been observing how much trash they produce. And then with the conversation of zero waste growing every day, people are learning about alternative products and learning that not everything needs to be packaged in plastic and not everything needs to be single use. So, Maria Vasco, you're the founder of Boston's first zero-waste store, Yavita. How did you and how do you every day? I know you can use your own products, but if I'm starting today, how do I become a person who's a zero-waster, so to speak? I mean, what are my daily habits that I'm doing? That You mentioned a couple, but, you know, there's a lot of steps in the day where I, I'm not seeing how I can necessarily do that. So you tell me. Yeah, I, I like to focus on the products in the house and then what you bring outside the house is up to you, whether that's a reusable water bottle, um, you know, a cutlery kit. Uh, but inside the house, it's so much easier because you're going to have these things on your dresser or on your sink in the bathroom. And so I wake up, I have naturally my bamboo toothbrush in my bathroom, and I have my toothpaste tablet. We're used to the plastic tube with the cream toothpaste that comes out. Instead, we have toothpaste tablets. We also have the cream. So we give you options, but I specifically use the tablet. I just throw it in my mouth, munch it down like a mint, and then start brushing away. I go to the shower. I have my shampoo bar there. I have my conditioner bar. And then I also have my facial cleanser. I have my body soap. I have my loofah scrub. Like These are all very simple alternative products that are great. And again, if like you don't like shampoo bars, you can always just refill your shampoo bottles. So I don't like to have people think that zero waste is limiting. There's always options and there's multiple alternatives. So Haley Gamboni, Divert, you work with supermarkets. So we've gone from individual now to larger institutions trying to do a more wholesale zero waste. What happens there? Give me an example of, of, of how Divert is uh, developing systems by which there can be zero waste. Divert is unique in that we have our own technology and our own machinery that makes it easier for supermarkets to participate in organics recycling. So essentially the process is that 
We collect all of their food waste. So anything from moldy produce that didn't get sold to expired dry goods. And we collect that. And then we take it back to our own facility where it's depackaged, which means that basically you put, if you think about like a few avocados that are in a plastic bag, you throw that whole thing in the machine and the machine will separate out the plastic from those avocados. So we depackage it and then we recycle the organics. And so for the supermarket on their end, it's basically the difference between throwing all of that food that they aren't going to sell into a trash bin or throwing it into one of Diverts organics recycling bins. The process is very simple and the decision is very simple. And then we handle the rest. And another thing that we like to focus on at Divert is donation. So taking those materials that aren't necessarily ready to be recycled, but the store can't sell anymore. And we take those and assist the store with bringing them to a donation center. So it's both good for the store and good for the community that they're in. Okay. Haley, do you have a sense of if many more people, let's just say in Boston, decided to really focus seriously on zero waste. That's, I'm talking now individuals, even though I know that your company works with uh, organizations and other businesses. You know, how much reduction would we have? Is there some number out there that can demonstrate to people that it's a lot? Yeah, that's an interesting question. On an individual scale, I honestly don't know. I think it depends on the person. For me, I have a general sense of how much waste I produce in my own home. I started composting a couple years ago and it's probably, it's a few pounds a week when I take the compost out. So it does make a difference in terms of the larger scale at one national retailer that Divert works with, um, which has about 2000 stores in one month, they brought in a million pounds of organics to recycle. So if you estimate, I guess the amount of food that someone who goes to that store buys every week, you can get a sense of how that million pounds might divide out among each person individually in in the span of a month. Hmm. So Simon, we've heard a lot about plastic and the potential damage it's doing. Let's take a listen to a clip from Frontline's 2020 episode, Plastic Wars, featuring Lewis Freeman, former vice president of the Society of the Plastics Industry. How could they go into all of these communities and tell people you just have to recycle when they knew there were so many problems and so many hurdles. Some were very skeptical, but felt they had to do it. I think others were were more hopeful. Uh, There was never an enthusiastic belief that uh, recycling was ultimately gonna work in a significant way. So I played that Simon Metcalf of Sunrise Boston because As you've said, recycling is a lot less ideal than reusing or reducing. That's what zero waste means. But so many of us feel like so virtuous because we're recycling. You know, that took a minute to sort of get everybody on board with. So explain why, you know, you need to be careful with recycling and that reusing or reducing is the goal. I know a lot of people in the waste industry are hesitant to be too critical of recycling because, as you say, it took a while to really kind of get people thinking in this recycling mindset. From a technical standpoint, unfortunately, reusing plastic is kind of difficult. To use a food metaphor here, if you have an ice cube that melts, you know, you can take that water and freeze it into a new ice cube, no problem. That's that's what metals are like. You can melt them down 
and reuse them as many times as you want. But plastic is a lot more complicated. Plastic is made up of these long chains of molecules that are kind of like a noodle. So when you think about plastic recycling, you want to imagine, let's say I've cooked myself a big plate of spaghetti with red sauce. And then I decide, you know, uh-oh, I actually want to, I actually want to have Alfredo instead. Trying to separate out all that pasta and and get the sauce out of it and then recook it into a new dish and still have it be, you know, nice and al dente is going to be a big challenge. And that's basically the same sort of issue on a, you know, on a molecular level that we face with plastics. It might be technically feasible in the limited number of cases to do that, but it's expensive, it's energy intensive, and that's why it doesn't really happen. So, you know, the best plastic from an environmental standpoint is the plastic that never gets made in the first place. And if you have to have some sort of product, have to have some sort of packaging, it's much better for that packaging to either be something that can be more readily reused, something that is biodegradable, or yeah, if we can, if we can just eliminate that sort of use case altogether, that's really ideal. So you're really talking about a more discerning kind of recycling. So people more sophisticated, just not sort of throw everything in the bin and and and, and think it's doing something good in uh, at, at on the other end, right? I also think it's really important to look at the role that manufacturers play in this. You know, I I certainly have gotten a product where, you know, there's this hard plastic case wrapped around a little cardboard insert, you know, that kind of describes what the product is. If you want to recycle that, you've got to try and rip this plastic open and pull the cardboard out. That's really hard to do. Uh, And so I think that we could start to establish some standards whereby we tell companies like, hey, you've got to be designing this packaging with an eye towards easy separation, with an eye towards easy recycling. This is why I think that sort of looking at a, a regulatory view where we're trying to set standards for this stuff is so important because while consumers can certainly, you know, make some change, we need to get them some backup so that we can go fully zero waste. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Maria Vasco of Uvita, Simon Metcalf of Sunrise Boston, and Haley Gamboni of Divert. We're talking all things zero waste and how the local younger generation is pushing for change. So we're having this conversation, picking up on your last thought, Simon, in the context of two major regulatory things happening. First of all, the U.N. Climate Change Report came out and said, period, full stop. Humans are doing this and humans, human action needs to change wholesale. And as you said, individuals can make an impact, but only if pretty big impact, if everybody's on board. And the second thing is that the infrastructure bill that uh, Congress had been wrestling over got passed. And a part of that includes some parts of the Recycle Act. So there is at least, we know, funding for battery recycling programs and research funding for something called Save Our Seas uh, grant funding. There's probably other stuff, but this is what's, you know, uh, been released so far. Is this the best environment now for people to be open to doing more and to understanding what's at stake globally? Simon. You know, I think that it's never too late to get excited about helping the environment. It's never a bad time to get involved. I've been involved in advocacy around this sort of stuff for about 10 years, and I think it's an incredibly exciting moment because we have the president of the United States talking about this issue very seriously. We have a whole lot of senators and members of Congress who are really pushing for environmental action. So, 
you know, I, I personally feel very excited to be, to be working on these issues because I feel like we're finally starting to turn things around a little bit. We're finally starting to win. But I think it's important that you mentioned the UN report that just came out, because as you said, it clearly states that we need to be taking really aggressive actions starting immediately to make these changes. And I think it's important to understand how that clear directive from the scientists relates to the, uh, the reconciliation bill that's under consideration right now, which has a lot of really great climate initiatives in it. Doing everything that we can to fight climate change means passing the most ambitious version of the reconciliation bill when it comes to environmental action. You know, the, these are not two separate things. The action that we need to stop climate change and to save our planet doesn't come later. It really comes today. All right. So here's a question. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but it feels overwhelming in some ways. Let me put this in a context of, of more positivity. So in 2015, the Nielsen report found that 73 percent of the millennial generation was willing to pay more for sustainable goods, that this is an issue that's very important. Now, when they look at it, they say uh, exactly how much they say maybe 10% or more unsustainable products at the time, with 50% of millennials saying yes, they would do it, 34% of Generation X, and 23% of baby boomers, which isn't bad for baby boomers. Remember, they this was not part of their whole deal uh, coming up, so this is a total relearning process. So that's a positive context. People are aware, awake, trying to figure out, you know, what is their part in it. At the same time, I think, wow, this feels so overwhelming, this waste situation. Is it too late? Haley, I mean, it, it feels really big. It does feel really big, but I don't think it's too late because individuals have a sense, it sounds like from that survey, individuals have a sense of what their own lives look like, what their own material use looks like. And so the beautiful thing about zero waste that I, I love is that it's so tangible. You can see the changes that you make when you go zero waste or when you assist someone going zero waste or when a business goes zero waste. And so I think it's not too late because individuals can choose to change something in their own life, small or large, and that will make a difference. Like truly, I believe that. Maria, would you add to that? Yeah, I totally don't think it's too late. Nature really wants to help itself. It is always going to win. Um, we just need to learn how to play with it and become more sustainable in the way that we live in society in the way that we produce waste, in the way that we consume products, consume food. There's just a big systematic change that needs to happen. And also, as much as individuals can make a difference, there's also a 100 companies that are producing majority of the waste and are very much responsible for global warming and climate change. So if we can just hold these big companies more accountable, if we can stop funding these companies so they can not grow any bigger and realize that people are demanding value and respect for our future, I think we could have a lot more change in a faster timeline. And Maria, specifically for you, um, you're thinking of expanding your store because of, of demand. I knew you're doing a little test pilot over in uh, East Boston, but you're the only store, as we said, zero waste store in Boston. Most of the others are, we're not surprised, California. 
Uh, is that just because they are just farther ahead than we are in terms of thinking about these issues? Yeah, so majority of our online sales are from customers in other states, and a lot of it is in California. And that is because I also think they are just so educated and advanced on the terms of climate change and global warming. Also, they are seeing global warming with their own eyes. When I'm at the store and I see a customer and they tell me they just moved to Boston from California, I ask them why, and they immediately start showing me images of the forest fires that burned their house or that was down the street from them. What I think is Boston, we don't have forest fires. We don't have tornadoes. We don't have a lot of these natural disasters that are going to make people take action. I think our biggest threat is sea level rise, and we haven't dealt with that yet. We don't have seaport underwater yet, so people aren't really feeling that pressure to take so much action compared to people in California who are experiencing having their houses burnt down and drought and all these other things that come with the consequences of extreme heat. Uh, So yeah, there's like a little bit of a disconnection between our side of the U.S. and the other side. Mm -hmm. But I just know that everyone is going to start feeling more pressure as, you know, temperatures rise and the environmental issues becomes more of a conversation. Okay, so now I have a final question for all of you because my listeners will probably know if they've heard anything about zero waste. We've seen those people who only make a jar's worth, a mason jar's worth of trash a year. Okay, Simon, can you do that? I'm just checking. You know, uh, maybe if I really put my mind to it, but uh, I I think I would have a hard time doing that, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, So where would you say? Are you two trash bags a year in your your growth towards zero waste? You know, how much have you reduced down to, would you say? Well, I hate to say it, but I, um, for my job, you know, I I help to run a workshop uh, at the school where I teach. And so uh, we really, I mean, we we generate a pretty substantial amount of waste just because in the process of building things, you're going to generate quite a bit. So so are you telling me you're a work in progress? Is that what you're saying? I I would have to say that I am. (laughs) This is secretly, this is why I'm very excited about the the sort of systems level view is that I want to make it easier for everybody and I want to make it easier for me. Okay. All right. That's an honest answer. Haley Gamboni, are you only producing a, a mason jars worth of trash a year? I'm not there yet. I, I would say I'm about a a trash bag a month. Hmm. And I would say that's two things, mainly because like I mentioned, I started composting at home, which made a huge difference for me because a lot of what I had been throwing in the trash before that was food waste. And then the other thing that I'm trying to do right now is go as package free as I can. So Marie, I'm very excited about Uvita. I will definitely be stopping by and hopefully that will get me closer to that mason jar goal. Okay, Maria, it's on to you. A mason jar full a year or more? <laughs> no way. I definitely have more trash than a mason jar. I actually thought that was more of like a marketing strategy because it's it's really our society that we live in. Like, And so it's really hard. I really think that's more of a, a marketing strategy to get people's attention, which I appreciate. But I don't think it's realistic and I don't really want people thinking that our systems are so in place that you're able to do that because that's not the case. Like what I really need is for restaurants to have composting sites. I need restaurants to provide bamboo or wheatgrass or paper straws. 
all over the city of Boston because majority of them still have plastic straws. You know, I need them to allow me to refill my coffee cup at Starbucks, which they don't let me. You know, I definitely like to focus more on the systematical changes because those will be more inclusive to everyone. Even the people who don't think about zero waste will naturally be pushed into reducing their waste if our society was more focused on how to make that happen for the everyday individual and not just for us zero waste heads who like think about trash all day. Okay, I still want to know how many bags you got now. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't even know. I would say like a trash bag a month, but because I have the store, Mm -hmm. I I would include that because I am in control of that waste. So I would say more than that because, you know, we're starting to have brands who just like ship us products and they're like packaged in plastic and I'm in charge of that waste. So I definitely have a different set of obstacles. So I do want to count the trash in the store because again, I would put that on myself as the business owner. And I, and I do that because I wish bigger companies would do the same. So we're probably talking about two bags a month. Yeah. Okay. Because people want to know, we nosy people want to know what you, what you leaders are doing. So um, <laughs> listen, I thank you all for joining me in this very important conversation. I have to say, I, you sort of kind of knew a little bit about zero waste, but not much. And this has been uh, extremely eye-opening. So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks Thank so you, much, Kelly. Maria Vasco is the founder and CEO of Uvita, Boston's first zero waste store. Simon Metcalf is a member of the Sunrise Boston Hub and a high school teacher. Haley Gamboni is an account manager at Divert, a Boston-based company working to eliminate waste from the retail industry. Haley is also a former Boston University zero waste intern who was part of the university's zero waste task force. Coming up, could a guy who lived in a shack over 150 years ago offer advice about living through the 2020 pandemic? Author David Gessner thinks that Henry David Thoreau certainly can. The historic naturalist went through a self-imposed isolation as he reconnected with nature at Walden Pond in the 1800s. Gessner thinks we can draw direct parallels from the lessons. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Thank you.